wasn't sure I'd ever uh, step out and do my own thing. It took this place to do it. And it is Virginia Tech. This isn't some rinky-dink-ass program. I don't know if I could follow that one up. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Pete, nobody's looking at your tweets. We're going to recruit our footprint, and we're going to work our tails off to bring those Virginia kids to Blacksburg. Those situations are the worst when you are on top yeah. of another guy. The relationships are very important to me. That's what this place is built on. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. At 95 Miami, is, is my fondest name. And maybe the experience after the Sugar Bowl with West Worship and J.C. Price on Bourbon Street. <laughs> Come on, J.C. I want to know what you're drinking, Robbie. It is roasty goodness, even though I was out. What's the percent on that? 11. It was a dream come true back then, and it's a dream come true today. Hey, Mom, why don't you try a rail? We're going to put this old guy in a grave. For the love of the game. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Mm, we just got better, guys. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, a Sons of Saturday podcast. My name is Pete, and you know my co-host, Robbie. We're recording here on Thursday night. I believe it's May 25th. Uh, we just had to get an update out to you guys. Robbie, how you doing tonight? I'm doing wonderful. I am. Uh, we we're entering the throes of some awesome weather, so I've been playing plenty of plenty of golf and uh, enjoying the outdoors and things like that. So things things have been good. Yeah, we got Memorial Day weekend upon us. Why don't you give us a cheers? Cheers to the magnificent two deep uh, is uh, <laughs> the, the best way to lead into this one. Uh, no, it wouldn't be the off season without some good off season drama, and we are seeing that on a couple fronts. Whether that be expansion or further expansion, uh, and whether that's Big Ten doing something, or the SEC doing something, or the ACC doing something, or people breaking off from the ACC. So I love it. This stuff is uh, always fun to talk to, talk about at least. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll give a cheers to that. It makes me feel like things are real and football is just around the corner when we start talking uh, breakups and and you know new dating and all that sort of stuff in, in conference alignment. Absolutely. Cheers. Yeah, that, that Magnificent Seven tweet from McMurphy, it didn't really say a whole lot, but it, it referenced Ross Dellinger's reporting, and it just kind of made everyone go nuts. Uh, some in a good way, some just kind of speculating, oh, we're going to this conference, or we're going to this conference, and it got like out of hand real, real quick in terms yeah. of what people were expecting to happen or something. Yeah. Uh, but we will get into that in a little bit. I. There was a bunch of kind of things that happened, even though it's May, even though it's a little bit the doldrums of the off season. It's kind of the worst part of the off season. I, I put that on our Twitter with the old uh, the poll, which asked, "Would you rather have Wi-Fi in Lane or beat Florida State this upcoming season?" And <laughs> that that was just like, I'm you know, there's nothing going on. Let's let's put out this weird question. And I was shocked that like you know. 18% of people or whatever chose the Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, it is pretty bad uh, in, in Lane Stadium when you're trying to... Uh, yeah. I, I, I've tried to send pictures and videos and stuff to you while we're at Lane and nothing will go through. So right. it... Uh, but I, I still would take a football win, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's just... It's funny. It was, I called it an identity of the fan base question and it sparked like a lot of conversation surprisingly and even i think pat and billy in their twitter segment on their podcast 
went over the question too. And they were both like, what are people thinking? Like what, how is this even a question? But I guess some people view it as short term, short, short term reward for a win against long-term reward of all the advantages that Wi-Fi and lane would give you. Exactly. But it's, it's just bizarre. Cause literally that one win, you don't know how that could change the fate of a recruit's mind yep. of the program's trajectory. Like it could have a massive monetary impact. If you really think about a top 10 win down at FSU, I'm not saying it will be that just like prospectively. Well, I'm just saying if your parlay goes through on the Wi-Fi, that could be <laughs> really imagine that's a, I did not think of imagine that. you're po- trying to post like a last second parlay. You think it goes through, but the Wi-Fi it, it isn't there and the cell service is terrible. It doesn't go through. That, that could be, I don't know, a five figure uh, parlay payout. Who knows? So let's, you know, anything's there, there possible. are. There are things I, I hadn't even considered, Robbie. So I do appreciate exactly. that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's get into this news. So biggest thing that's happened to me was the Antoine Powell Ryland commitment to the Hokies. He was at Florida. He's a defensive end from the state of Virginia, played a couple years down in the SEC. And now he's coming to Virginia Tech with two years left of eligibility. And this isn't just a guy who was riding the bench at Florida. He started some games for them. Yeah, so a, a surprise move for him to transfer, which is always nice, uh, and came from Indian River uh, High School. Uh, the stats I saw were 27 games he played uh, with the Gators, if I'm not mistaken. Five starts, 34 tackles, four and a half sacks, so um, pass breakup and some forced fumbles. So a, a productive, not I mean, he was not, you know, the one of the best players necessarily on the team, but a very productive player for, for Florida. So, and a get for Virginia Tech at um, most certainly a position that you and I have talked about a lot. Yes, there's no doubt about it. We need a defensive end, an impact defensive end for this upcoming season. And I would go out on a limb and say we got one because he wasn't, he wasn't playing a ton at the beginning of the season, but by the end of the season, he was starting. And I know it might've been out of necessity because of injuries and Florida wasn't very good, but it's an sec school. He's playing one of the premium positions and he played well. If you look at his PFF grades for pass rushing, I got this from Doug Bowman's article. He was significantly better than CJ McCray and Cole Nelson. And a lot of those stats that PFF pulls aren't opponent adjusted. And guess what? His opponents were a lot better than our <laughs> opponents. So, and in true pass set sets, true pass sets, that eliminates screen plays and quick passes, that kind of thing. Powell had the sixth highest rated, like highest rated rating, yes. highest rating in the P5. Yeah. So he played really well when it comes to pass rushing. And that's something that Cole Nelson, he's he's good against the run, but he's not as strong against the pass. And we haven't had anyone really getting to the quarterback in a number of years. It's been since like Kenna Canham and, mm-hmm. and beyond. So this this could have a big impact for us. And the fact that he's from Virginia, that's just icing on the cake. Yeah, that's what even makes it even better. I never went back to see exactly what happened originally with his his recruitment, um, but he made his way back. You know, yeah. life comes full circle sometimes, and and this one did. So he he's back in the colors. Uh, he he should have always been. So that's awesome. 
I got one more comment just about the rating he has on 247 as a transfer. You'll notice that after a guy commits out of the portal, normally they end up with a rating. Sometimes it comes before if they're really high profile. Usually it comes after they commit. And so Powell committed and he got a 0.86 transfer rating, which is actually, it's a three-star rating, but it's the lowest of any of our transfers. Mm -hmm. He has the lowest rating, which includes Chiron Drones, who I know was a four-star coming out of high school and isn't far removed from that high school rating, but he's never started the game. Yep. And you you have no idea really what you're going to get, whereas Powell has started games in the SEC and has a significantly lower transfer rating than drones. It's just it's just kind of interesting and it what it signals to me is the longer you stay in school and maybe aren't getting the starts is is way worse for you. Like cuz yeah. Powell was a a very high recruit. Like I think he was higher than drones when he started. Mm-hmm. Um but drones was just in college a short period of time before he transferred so his didn't drop too much it's just interesting and, yeah. a, and a nugget i saw like it's lower than stone snyder a guy coming from fcs it's lower than tootin coming from fcs it's it's just kind of weird and i don't know to me pal should at least be equal i'm not saying those other guys should be lower i'm saying that he should be a little bit higher if he was starting the sec yeah it's an interesting point so you the logic that you you think may apply is that the longer that you're in school and haven't been able to fully crack, you know, being mm-hmm. a, a, a starter, like a, and he, he did start games, but being a, a regular impact starter, impact yes, starter yeah. that um, the coaches have seen issues or at least not been able to see enough to, to put you in that position. I think that makes sense. Um, and not, I also, not that I necessarily agree um, yeah. with it, but I get the logic. Um, and And it's funny because like, they could two four seven could be watching all the Florida film of Powell Ryland and be like, "This is correct," but I kind of think it's it's kind of a guesstimate. Like I, they kind of go off high school, they kind of do some calculation with, "Okay, he's been in school this long, he's made this many starts. All right, we downgrade him by point X." You know, there's probably some kind of formula rather than them pouring over Stone Snyder's film to give him a rating. Yeah, but I could be wrong. I don't I don't know what goes on over there, but I know there's thousands and thousands of guys in the portal and they can't possibly watch all that film every year Correct. but um, anyway let's move on to the high school commit we got tommy ricard he committed to virginia tech from hudson ohio that's hudson high school uh 0.8719 offensive lineman number mm-hmm. 744 in the country this was a nice pickup yes uh three-star prospect he's 6'4, 265 interior offensive lineman uh, I think they said he could potentially um, suit up well as like a center, entire interior lineman, um, somewhere along um, that area. And um, I think it's it's good. I think this is the first recruit, obviously, for Crook and mm-hmm. who he brought in. We've talked about needing uh, depth at the offensive line, and I think this is – It'll be interesting. It's a good. It's a first step for for Crook, and I think it's hopefully more to come. Um, you know, behind this guy, but it it looks promising. It's a strong first step because if you look at the composite of interior offensive linemen, which doesn't include tackles, obviously, he's a top fifty lineman, and we played pretty much like one of the worst offensive lines in the country last year. So Crook was able to sell him something yes. uh, to come to Virginia Tech and. It's a high-end three-star, and it's pretty much right on our 
overall recruit average in terms of like that being about a 0.87. I put out a tweet earlier this week about that. So it's a nice pickup and we need offensive linemen. So uh, to the 2024 class continues to grow just a bit here. Yep. James Johnson, former Virginia <laughs> tech basketball coach has been added to the football staff. That's something I didn't see coming. A bunch of people had the joke of, yeah, didn't see it on my 2023 bingo card and neither did I. Yep. It is, is a unique uh, choice. However, I do think it's kind of a risk that could pay dividends. How do you feel about it? Anything that is, um, anything that is this out of left field from us has to have some pretty good, I think, underpinnings to it mm-hmm. of logic uh, by Pry and and what they're doing. Uh, the what what I read and heard about it was. You know, they invited him in. He came in, watch, was watching film with the team, and um, we'll get into uh, the key play interview as well as the Boundary Corner podcast uh, interviews as well. So I'm not going to preview it too much, but the the focus on Virginia schools has not has never been greater. I would say, except uh, going back to the Beamer days, uh, it is they are pushing as hard as possible and. Uh, he, you know, JJ is, is one that he knows Virginia, uh, very, very well. He is very tight with, um, the communities, the high schools, the coaches, um, the families, you, you name it. And bringing him in as a recruiter, I think is, is a pretty solid move. And I think there are attributes of what's happening in recruiting today that extend beyond football now quite frankly, mm-hmm. and it's relationship-based and some of it's money-based. And if you can shore up the money and then you can build the relationship, um, sometimes the football takes, for, for better or for worse, uh, a back step. Um, yeah, back and he, Price said that, uh, I think on both interviews, that like this is not a film-watching position. Right. This is, he, th- James Johnson is, is in sales. Basically, that's that's what he's in. He's in relationships, which is basically a sales position. He's trying to sell recruits, coaches, administrators on Virginia Tech, and I, I think it could work out really well. It just the the bizarreness of having a former head basketball coach on your, like imagine Jim Beheim going back to Syracuse and helping the football staff. Yeah. Like it, it is, it's weird. I mean, it's different because Beheim's a legend and, and James Johnson just had a short tenure here. Uh, but it's just so weird, but all the things that James Johnson was good at, which was everything, but really being head coach yeah. <laughs> could, could work out really well. He's a relationship guy. He's a people skills guy. He's well-respected in the region. He's from Richmond. He's an ambassador of the Virginia Tech program. And it sounded like he reached out to our program saying like, hey, I just want to come check things out, how you guys run things uh, around wintertime, like around when signing day was happening. And lo and behold, after people got to talking with him and everything, he got offered this job, which isn't even – you know, the director of high school relations, it's a co-director. Like there are more than one. Yeah. (laughs) So, and I'll add one more little nugget in here that had my kind of wheel spinning. And that's the multi-sport athletes 
that are out there. So a, a lot of guys out there are not just playing only football. A lot of them are playing football and basketball games. We, we hear the stories about, you know, the pickup games that the football guys will get involved in and stuff. That's because a lot of those guys also played basketball as well. So if you get a talented or a few talented kind of multi-sport athletes and you can make inroads with a basketball coach as well, I mean, that is another avenue to really kind of, you know, sell and have something to talk to somebody about. Not necessarily that they're going to come to Virginia Tech and, and try and play both sports. Um, we have seen that in the past, but it's just another avenue to kind of approach and build a relationship with somebody to have, um, you know, an angle in there, another voice at the table if you can if you can make inroads with them. Definitely, and who who's going to know those basketball coaches but James Johnson? Who? Because you're right, a lot of these football players are playing basketball because they're the best athlete in the school. Yes. And that's a good segue to our next news and note, which is our very own tooth sport athlete, Devin Wilson, who <laughs> has rejoined the Virginia Tech staff as the director of student athlete alumni engagement. I think that might also be like the director of the monogram club. He's involved there too. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool because Devin is from everything I've heard. Mm -hmm. He's a great guy. And Billy and Pat just had him on their podcast on the Sons of Saturday feed talking to him, talking about his responsibilities and his role. And he just seems like such a good dude. He was at the spring game, uh, at the spring jam. He was walking around talking to people. And so that seems like something that fits with what Pry wants to do. You know, make sure the former athletes feel welcome. That when the 99 team shows up for a game, you go over and you say hello. That's something that Devin Wilson will coordinate that maybe slipped through the cracks when we had a former head coach. Yeah. Yeah. There, the, the monogram club has had its challenges. Let's put it that way with some former players, uh, speaking out pretty, uh, you know, pretty vocally, let's put it that way about the issues and not feeling appreciated and not being invited back to games and all that kind of stuff. So anything that we can do to shore that up, I think everybody is, is on board. Um, with with that aspect, and I'm sure he he is a perfect personality to uh, to do something like that. He's obviously beloved by the fan base and um, and awfully tied in with you know former players. So the last thing we're going to talk about before we get to our takeaways from the two different Pry interviews we got to see this past week is the ACC revenue sharing agreement that got agreed to. However, there are very little details, but it's going to be a merit-based, success-based new model for sharing what should be called postseason revenue. Yep. It's basically NCAA tournament revenue, bowl revenue, playoff revenue. If you are successful, you will end up with more of that money. There are literally like no details yet. Nothing. It's just something they agreed to change the model. I'm sure they have some stuff drafted up, but it will not involve the TV money. And that has been made very clear throughout this process. Yes. So this comes on the heels of a lot of chatter that was taking place around what was going to happen. I think, I don't know who originally put out the first tweet around the Big Ten and their focus on a couple of the ACC teams and who they might be interested on in. So, you know, there there's a backdrop here of some courting. Obviously, that's always going to take place as the Big Ten is going to look to expand again and potentially maybe even the SEC will as well. And 
that ended up leading to this discussion around the revenue sharing model and then eventually it getting approved. Um, the, the issue is, as you said, the, the total revenue dollars are static and it's not touching the TV dollars. So the pie is still the same. It's just what's going to get divided up. And even if you divided yeah. it up, it, it's, it's never really going to compare to what some of uh, the SEC and the Big Ten are really getting unless it is a gigantic slug that you're getting but for making the playoff or something like that or winning a national championship. So um, it's, um, it, it, it is a Band-Aid solution, but I think it's all that the ACC could do at this juncture with, uh, with all the news that was going around. It is – and you know what? It's not even a Band-Aid. Like, yes, it's it's to appease a couple of different administrators, but it's no solution whatsoever in terms of the gap. Say, say you're on the right side of that merit-based initiative and you get an extra five, seven, ten million dollars $10 million for a season because you did well in basketball and football. Great. That's that's good. That's some money. You're still You're still not getting that guaranteed check which is a $30 million gap between us and those two big conferences. So it's something it's, and all it is is something for them to put out there. So they don't look like the embarrassment that they are. That's, that's really all this is. It's a news release for them to look like they're doing something. And I actually think that magnificent seven whole thing that came out, that was and Andy bitter referred to this as well. That was put out maybe on purpose just so this would happen, just so Clemson and FSU could get their hands on this success initiative thing, because we're, no one's going anywhere. It, yeah. it, like that's not happening right now. If the grant of rights was easy to break, it would have been broken by now. And so they put out, they get Dellinger to write the article, Magnificent Seven, whatever. Oh, that gets everyone talking about the problems they have. And they're like, okay, well, let's do the bare minimum that we can do. Yeah. And that's what they did. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also the maximum of what they can do. That's the problem. That's where we're at with the TV contract. So the, the only way that the grant of rights, and I have heard this, breaks down is if the ACC explodes. Because then there's nobody left to sue for the TV rights, right? right? Like, so what you would basically need is a coordinated effort for three or f for four schools to get picked off by the Big Ten, for four schools to get picked off by the the, you know, the SEC, and then for the remaining schools, a couple of them to figure out where the heck they're going to go. And then there's nobody left to enforce the grant of rights. It, yeah. it, that is the only circumstance in the 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 thought process that somebody's just going to come in and pick up two is and that loss of their TV revenue share is just, it's just so significant that it's uh, it just doesn't make it worth it. So, um, so if, if this ever does happen that this people have been chatting about, it's going to be with like an explosion of like the ACC, it will, the ACC will no longer exist um, in any real form for it to ever happen. And in my head, yes, that does seem, like the only way it could happen, it seems reasonable. Like, hey, we're starting a new conference with these eight teams, grant of rights dissolved. However, I don't know if ESPN's deal with those schools would be 
dissolved. Mm -hmm. And so that creates, and this is the problem with the grant of rights. No one knows exactly who has the rights to what ESPN has the rights. The ACC has the rights. They both have the rights. And so just dissolving the ACC, I'm not even sure gets us out of the TV deal. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really not sure. And so it's, it's not a good situation. We might be in it for another 10 years. When I was talking to Dan on uh, Tales of the Terror Doom, I said something to the effect of like, if you made the threat to ESPN, we're going to blow up this conference. Yeah. You're going to lose your sweet deal and you should just give us some more money so it's still favorable to you, but we won't break up. Mm-hmm. Like that to me is kind of like the best of both worlds. Uh, good for ESPN, good for us. But like, yeah, for me as a VT fan and someone who... Sh- hopefully we'll be at the table of halves in an eight team ACC or whatever. I want to blow the whole thing up and go to the open market with a TV deal and say, Hey, Amazon prime, you know, Peacock, whatever, Paramount plus let's see, let's get the bidding going on, on our games because we need more money. Yeah. Uh, I, and I just don't think I would love if we moved to like an eight or 10 team league and that way there's more money per school, even if we kept the exact same ESPN deal, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't think any of it's going to happen for a little while here. Yeah. So we're stuck with parsing out the extra dollars from, you know, the, the couple of extra NCAA tournament teams and a playoff team. The best thing for VT to do now is make bowls, and make the playoff because yeah. that's the only way you're getting any more money. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, and I will say that there, for ESPN, there has to be a point where it makes sense to throw some more money to the ACC. So let's, you know, in the scenario that it blows up and then like SEC comes, grabs a whole bunch of schools and Big Ten comes in, grabs a whole bunch of schools. The residual just has like a, you know, whatever, 16 conference or whatever the, you know, the heck they have left. Um, and so the big 10 CBS, NBC and Fox have that contract. It's not ESPN. So those schools, so say it's like North Carolina, Virginia, Virginia tech, and I don't know, NC state. I don't I, okay. Who knows the, that those markets effectively, those four schools and their media associated with that revenue is going to be lost to CBS, NBC and Fox that said, they'll gain whoever goes to the SEC because the ESPN has the SEC contract for the media rights for them. And uh, so I don't know. There feels like there might be a way to try and sabotage it such that if it was set up right, that that said, those, those conferences do not want to be stalking horses just for the ACC, just to, to for them to get a new contract. So if it's that real, then those teams are probably going anyway. So ESPN's like, well, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, they're fine sticking it out for another 10 years. I think it is that we have left on the contract. And I think that's probably how this is going to end up playing out. Yeah. 13 years yep. and 10 years until maybe there's like an agreement on a new conference or deal yep. or whatever. Yep. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not great. Did you see the thing on TKP about, how the deal for Big Ten isn't technically done. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, so Kevin, they're still in negotiations with those three networks to figure out, like, who's paying what, where NBC falls, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It sounds a little bit like Kevin Phillips kind of um, 
inked the overall like dollar value, the shock dollar, the value dollars, yeah. and didn't necessarily get through all the fine print. And now they're trying to work through the fine print, which I think is to the tune of one one piece of it is like seventy million dollars of that. Yeah. So it's it's not. You know, small, you know, small chump change that is still the NBC part of it. Yeah, right? like that's the big chip that has to fall. Yeah, so um, we'll we'll see. That's uh, but hilarious all the same uh, that they yeah. didn't get it all buttoned up. Um, all right, before we get to our discussion on the interviews, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor. The Two D Pokies Under the Influence podcast is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy app that allows you to make plays with our very own Hokies players. So this fall, you'll be able to get some action on Allie Jennings, Jalen Lane, Malachi Thomas, our quarterback, our starting quarterback, who we are still waiting, but it's probably going to be Grant Wells. We'll talk a little bit about that. So download the Prize Picks app today and use code MEMORYLANE for a deposit match up to $100. That's Memory Lane, all one word, and you'll get that deposit match up to $100. And you can currently make plays on the NBA playoffs. We've got the finals coming up. MLB, they're playing. Braves and Phillies are having a series right now. So download the Prize Picks app today. Prize Picks, daily fantasy made easy. For right now, Rob, I need to know what you're drinking. I am drinking the Athletic Brewing uh, Sunset Stroke uh, on there, which uh, sounds nice. It does. It's uh, very floral. I would say this IPA is, and um, it's good. It, it's not the best IPA that I've had from them. It's kind of on my. Um, it's it's up there, but there's a there's a few others that I've had. They do these. They do rotationals like every two weeks of new IPAs or new beers, whatever that they put out. So I'm on auto order through uh, Athletic Brewing so I can go in and just pick out some new beers and they ship them right to my door, which is awesome. And I don't have to go anywhere. So this one is called Sunset Stroke uh, on uh, is Athletic Brewing. What are what are you having over there? I'm having the Two Roads Too Juicy. Mm. Perfect for Too Deep. The Too Juicy. So I hear the name, and I'm expecting, oh, this is going to just be straight up like OJ, sweetness, maybe maybe some sugar in there. It's really, like, if I didn't see the color, because it's not super orange either, but, like, it is on the hazy side. If I didn't see it, I would think it's a regular kind of, like, almost copper-colored IPA. It's not bitter like a West Coast, but... You know how you used to say, like, oh, it's just straight up and down, like, mm-hmm. traditional IPA. That's what this tastes like. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. It's when, when I see, like, they got, it's called Too Juicy. It says Hazy Juicy IPA is a description. At the top of the can, it says Keep It Juicy. But I didn't really get that that juice. And I know that's a terminology they refer to, like, about the hops. Yep. Like, and I'm still... All that being said, I'm a little disappointed. Yeah. I was expecting better. I like two roads in general, so I just thought it was going to be better. And I do think the two is because it's a double. It's 8.2% alcohol. So it's on the stronger side. The two juicy from two roads, it is, it's just okay. It's not too good. <laughs> not too good. <laughs> but I do have one other review. Quick, quick, quick. Oh, here we go. Someone mailed us a stick it in beer nice and i i tweeted about this and i'll pull the name in a second but tech sideline made made the stick it in beer several years back and it's actually been uh discontinued or whatever but it was from beltway brewing mm-hmm. 
and made in Sterling VA. And it was just a 5.2% traditional lager. And I just had a couple sips of it. And it is, it's just a good lager. And and this is probably a couple years old. Like he said he had one left, so he mailed it to me. So I'm sure it got, you know, warm and everything else. But like, it tastes good. It's like been it aging. Tastes, yeah. 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 You can age like a Budweiser, right? Yeah. So here, yeah. here we are. Yeah. You could drink 12 of these things. Nice. I mean, they, they go down real, real easy. And I will... He mailed it. I mean, I got it maybe like three or four weeks ago. So I'm I'm blanking on the guy's name. I thanked him profusely on Twitter, but I'll pull it as we're talking. So what you're saying uh, is, but yes, we need to work with Arash to uh, get <laughs> get a, a two deep beer put together. Yeah. I mean, that would be awesome, right? Like we need because we have Hardywood yeah. and the Fighting Gobbler, yeah. and Stick It In is now defunct. But I don't think there's any other like clear Virginia Tech beer. I don't know of any like. Uh, I know there's some like turkey themed beers out there and things like that, but these are the only two Virginia Tech beers that I'm aware of. And I'm I'm sorry to say, but the Hardywood, yes. it just it lacks, yeah. right? And I even we even talked a little bit about this on Twitter and on our podcast. It's a fine beer; it is drinkable. The uh, Fighting Hokies, mm-hmm. but of all the beers that Hardywood makes, yeah. It's probably the worst one of theirs I've had. Mm-hmm. I'm not, and that that's just me being blunt. I'm not saying it's an awful beer. I'm just saying Hardywood makes good beer, and it's probably the worst one of any of their beers I've had. Yeah, well, I guess we got to get in there and um, rework <laughs> rework the recipe and uh, have a very blunt conversation with Hardywood uh, next time we're done. Yeah, there. yeah. Well, they're not sponsoring us yet, so I can speak openly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Listen, we're open. No, we're but open to be sponsors. to be clear, I love Hardywood. I, yes. I've always liked their beers. I've got a GBS in my fridge, which I am aging for next year. That's nice. Uh, you know what ages really well? Kentucky Christmas Morning. That ages yes. fantastically well. Yep. Um. Love Hardywood, so not not knocking them, just saying we need a hokey beer that is like, damn, I want to drink that every tailgate. Yeah. Like, that thing tastes so good. The gentleman that sent us the Stick It In beer, his name was Kenner Ingram. So huge shout out and thank you to Kenner. We really appreciate it. All right, let's get into these interviews, man. And we'll start with the key play because our friend Joe is over there and he got to sit down with Pry and ask him a bunch of questions. And it's funny to not get that interview in podcast format, reading it, reading the prose. <laughs> yes, actually getting the text of it, yes. It has... So what What was your, where do you want to start? What was your first thing you'd like to comment on regarding the interview? It was hard. I, I was doing, I was jumping back and forth between the two of them, the, both the podcast and the interview. I think it was a uh, somewhat of a coordinated effort, obviously, that they're trying to do uh, in making sure that they're, not necessarily, I won't say making amends. That's putting it a bad way. But making sure that, you know, there's love shown to the uh, media coverage uh, that's done through podcast networks and through the online, um, you know, uh, portal uh, or the online mediums as well. So I think, you know, for me, one, obviously, Pry is hilarious. And, um, you know, the beard of Christopher came up and, you know, a lot of those things, but he, he just seems like a very, uh, genuine guy in his responses and, um, very honest in the way that he, uh, addresses items that were glaringly either problematic in the past. And that would be some of the positions, you know, wide receiver and things along those lines, as well as talking about 
the move around the coaching staff as well. So that that was kind of my big takeaway was just a real sense of just kind of honesty about where the program had been in the past, things that he's moved, things that he's pulled the trigger on, but, you know, he even wishes that he had done them earlier but didn't. Um, and then um, his comments around uh, James Johnson, which we already hit on um, a little bit, I thought were, were very insightful because – of how surprising that news really was. Yeah, he did a good job of explaining that, and we did we did cover it a bit earlier. But you're right in that the way he answers questions, the way he addresses the media in general, mm-hmm. is so straightforward and seems so genuine. From day one, he's been perfect mm-hmm. with the media. Like for like like I can't think of an, another way to put it. Like he has been he has made like every W on the media trail that you can have from the first moment he got here. And so when he does these interviews with not only TKP, who has had some good interviews and big interviews over the years, but you know, an independent media podcast like boundary corner, like one, I appreciate him doing those kinds of things. And, but two, like the way he answers the questions, it's blunt. It's honest. Like for, I'll go into this one from TKP. Mm -hmm. If he was given a hundred million dollars, Joe asked yeah. him, "What was the what would be the first thing you allocate those funds to?" And Pryor, without blinking, said, "NIL." Yeah, like it it would go towards NIL, and I really wasn't expecting him to say that or be that honest. But I love that he realizes it, is upfront about it, and he did even say, "Like I don't want that to be the reason they choose Virginia Tech," but. We need to be competitive in that regard, so I'd use that money towards NIL. I love that answer. I did, and I also liked the fact that he said, and he wishes, you know, he had control of where those funds were going as well. So he even took it a step further, which I thought was was very interesting. And you and I have had this discussion a number of times that it it has gotten confusing. Of okay, I'm going to donate so much to the school. Where does my where should I put my money? Should I do mm-hmm. a traditional donation to the you know the hockey club? Should I do an NIL d- donation? Should I do both? Should I split up the funds? Um, and so, when he says something like that, I think it is. I, I don't know what the best way to put this. It, it, it's got to be a little bit frightening for the hockey club because yeah. the the head coach <laughs> just came out and basically said. If you gave me a hundred million dollars, put it to NIL. Well, what what's that saying? That's basically saying like put your money towards NIL in, yeah. if you're if you're going to be giving funds to the program. Yeah, it's it is fascinating, right? Because you got Triumph and you got the Hokey Way. Uh, you've got the the scholarship fund. You've got the Keep Jumping campaign. You've got Reach for Excellence. And I've always been a little confused as to like where exactly my donation is going. And you're not a Hokey Club Hokey Club member unless you donate to the scholarship fund. Yep. But you could also just donate to the football program. That's all. That all might be irrelevant because mm-hmm. maybe you should be sending your your money to the Hokey Way and Triumph. Yep. You know, if if that's what Pry wants. <laughs> Should we not give it to him? So it, I did find that interesting, and maybe, and maybe he didn't quite realize the implications of what he was saying. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the case, um, but he was pretty, he was pretty clear about it. Um, and and the other um, part that I think he hit on um, harder in the key play, which I, 
I appreciated was just the fun aspect of having of football. Um, that came up uh, in a number of different questions, a number of different responses um, that he hit on. You know, whether that was taking you know practice off, um, you know, for for dodgeball, heading over to the lake, those sorts of things. He um, understands that. Um, I'm reading a, a book that's called uh, Grit right now, which is supposed to be an, it is a psychologist that does explanations around successful people and what they do. And it, she, she goes into the fact that if that parents and things like that have this fear of like, Hey, you know, don't tell my kid just to like, you know, go follow your dreams or do whatever, because they might not be good at something. Right, so they might go out and be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna become a guitarist," but they might they might suck at it. But her point is, well, I can promise you that if they don't like what they're doing and they're not having like fun with it or or enjoyment with it, they're gonna suck a lot worse. So, like, if if you have two career objectives in this particular example, and it's one that you like kind of enjoy or at least you know have some interest in, and then one that you don't. You may suck at the one that you enjoy, but it's more than likely you're going to suck even worse at the one that you don't care about. So, you know, that that having fun with the sport, I think, is um, important. Not that it needs to you know, outweigh performance and doing well and training and all those, but it's it's got to be a piece of it. That was definitely a takeaway I had as well. He doesn't want it to always seem like a grind. They're going to work hard and they're going to get stuff done, but he wants you to have fun while you're working hard. He doesn't want you to dread coming into Merriman. Mm-hmm. He wants you to it to be a brotherhood, some where you feel good about. Hey, I want to work today. I want to get better today for my brothers, you know. And that's the mentality he's and the culture he's trying to implement. So yeah, I've really liked that part of it. He did provide a couple of under the radar guys mm-hmm. that could be impact players. One was Keyshawn Burgos. That was his defensive choice. He said he has a high motor. We know he's long. Uh, he can run and he plays really hard. And then when he talked about the offense, he mentioned Braylon Moore, the younger brother of Caden Moore, mm-hmm. and which will probably be our starting left guard. He said he was smart and tough and plays with great leverage. So between Burgos and Moore, we got hard, smart, tough. And with you reading Grit, I'm a, I, yes. <laughs> this is all. This is all taking me back. I got deja vu it's right coming, now. It's coming back, real. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's um, that. That was just uh, completely random. But I and I forgot. I forgot about our old grit. Uh, our, our old grit saying. So that that's that's tough. Put it on the helmets. We gotta we gotta talk about the recruiting emphasis that Pry talked about in the uh, mm-hmm. in both interviews, but particular in in the key play. While we're still going over that, I just wanted to read this passage because it was just so perfect, and I think the listeners would enjoy it. On recruiting, we're invested. I think the high school coaches feel it. We didn't just talk about recruiting the state. We're doing it. We're giving back to these coaches. We're extending invitations to practice and clinics and camps, and we're in these schools, even when they don't have a player. I think they see that this isn't just a narrative. It's how we're going to do it. It's what we believe in. I think it's how Coach Beamer did it, and I don't think there's any reason to think you can't do it the same way. You invest in the state. You invest in the footprint which is five to six hours from Blacksburg. You get into Knoxville, Nashville a little bit, Charlotte, Winston-Salem, Harrisburg, DMV. You don't have to do much more than that. When you take that approach, it allows you to spend the time necessary for these coaches and these families to get to know you. You're not 
spreading yourself too thin by flying to Texas and flying to South Georgia and flying to Illinois or California, and instead you're spending the time and going back to the same schools again and again. Mm-hmm. And I just, that is just, that's that's chef's kiss right there. Because right. he mentions Beamer, he mentions recruiting the footprint, and he mentions not going to Texas. Yes, so that, yeah, that trifecta for sure. Um, and uh, obviously somebody is listening about, uh, you know, how how that whole Texas, uh, you know, uh, thing, thing went down. But very, very interesting. And uh, the way he is doing it, there is, there's been this narrative over the past, you know, decade that recruiting has become a nationwide activity, not just in your own um, backyard. And for some schools, I think that's absolutely true. I think for an Ohio State, where they can go across the country and have unlimited resources and can spend those types of resources. Um, for an Alabama, where they can go wherever they want. I, I think that, yes, there are some schools where the resources are so heavy and so significant that you can spread yourself out all over that. And your cachet, based on your recent performance, is such that you can also feel good that you're going to have a high enough hit rate doing those activities, that it's going to be beneficial but I think this statement from him demonstrates an understanding of what the financial capacity is of Virginia Tech, but also an understanding that this is not the 2000s Virginia Tech any longer. And I think that is probably um, what gives me the most confidence in him because having false um a false perception of yourself can be very dangerous. And if you don't come to the realization of where the program is at, I think it's very hard to figure out how you're going to move it forward. If you still believe that this is, you know, 2005 Virginia tech. Yeah. And he expressed that just via the NIL conversation we just had. There was a little bit of, of the old school and the new school all wrapped into one in the interview. So that was really nice to see. We'll kind of move on to the boundary corner now, and if we have to bounce back, we'll we'll bounce back. When he talked to those guys, they asked him, what's the most improved room? Mm-hmm. And that's something that we all want to know. And he said, wide receiver. It's, it's, it's bar none. They needed to separate. They needed more speed. Um, there's four aspects of a receiver, right? There's And he said this, separate, speed, make the catch, and yards after catch. Yeah. And they're doing all of those things in a superior way at least this spring. Um, and the only portal entry that he wished hadn't left was Caleb Smith, which I did think was key. But he also said, hey, we made a trade. You know, we took in three wideouts. We didn't want it to be a trade, but it ended up being a trade. And I think we're on the better end of it. So I thought that was pretty interesting to start off. Yeah, I thought it was uh, very interesting. You know, and he talked about catching the, the ball in stride and yards after catch. And he, he admitted as much that, which I thought was refreshing that last year, all we had was Caleb Smith. He just, he said it very bluntly and just very honestly about needing to build it up because that's, that was our only tool in our belt last year. And that, that is not a good place to, to be. Uh, that was very interesting. I think it was also interesting to hear him talk about, identifying the weakness of each guy on the team and how to improve um, those. I 
in football, I think that's actually a better approach. You hear a lot about this. Yeah, we need to play to each guy's strengths. Well, I think it's all. I think it's for a team that is in a position that we are at this point with the depth that we had, which we saw from a lot of the attrition and where the transfers ended up going and the recruiting ratings and all those things. I think where we are is probably a place where you need to really look at where the weaknesses are so you can figure out what gaps you need to fill, right? If, if you're Ohio state, that is a team where with that kind of recruiting, you want to be looking at where your strengths are because you're looking, you have so much there that you got to figure out what the strengths are of each person so you can take advantage of that. We are having to play a little bit more defensive. And I don't mean defensive side of the ball, but I mean we, we have to identify where those weaknesses are and try and plug holes and fill gaps to come out with something that is more than serviceable and good for for now that we can build upon. So I thought that was also a very interesting um, way that he looked at it. And that, that makes a lot of sense when you think about it with regard to the NBA playoffs. There's a lot of guys who are great regular season NBA players. But when you get into the playoffs, it's like, oh my God, this guy cannot defend yeah. playoff caliber players. We need to get him off the field. It's all about identifying weaknesses and matchups. And that's what Brian needs to do. He needs to find the weaknesses and he needs to get him off the field, get a guy in front of that guy, whatever it may be. But that is a great point. Mm-hmm. He did say the biggest change for him from year one to now is just him not having his time uh, taken up by the defensive room. Like by being in there as the defensive coordinator, it frees him up to do all kinds of other things, whether that's roster management or just having meetings or whatever. That's a lot of time. Like the defensive coordinator is responsible for a lot and has a lot of meetings. And so he's going to be a much better head coach by not doing that. The question is, will his stamp that he put on that defensive room stay in place? Will will has Chris Marv had enough time under him to understand, okay, this is how our defense operates under Coach Pry. Yeah, and he gave a well, he talked a bit about the Liberty game. Right. I think he, he went into that and he he said something that I loved hearing, which was not doing the calls allowed him to just be like oh, at a whole different level in his performance. And he said that is one of the best games that I've had because of my ability to elevate and see the whole field and go back and forth between offense and defense and make sure that I'm doing what a head coach should be. I thought that was a really insightful, real tangible example that he went through. Uh, And then the other interesting aside that's less, I guess, relevant necessarily to Virginia or not. It's relevant to all schools, not just Virginia Tech was when he talks about people being poached on rosters that aren't in the portal and was just very blunt about his response he's like we know it's happening it is happening yeah sometimes it's head coaches sometimes it's the high school coaches reaching out he said but there are people getting you know poached and we've been hearing about that for a while but it was it was cool to just hear him you know talk about it and just be as as open and honest about it as he was did you notice him doubling down on the spring game commentary he made about loving the move of Bo into the quarterback yep. room. Mm-hmm. Like he, he went into that again and he was like, I'm just so happy with that move. And that 
Bowen was almost the QB coach from day one. Mm-hmm. He uh, never made. He felt it in his gut that it was the right move, and he never pulled the trigger on it. And he he wishes he had, but he didn't. But he is now, and we're trusting Pry, and Pry's trusting his gut, and that I kind of love. At, at a certain point, this. Uh, it's not all just money ball. At some point you got to let coaches kind of feel what they feel, you know, use that intuition and apply it. And his intuition is this is the right move. Um, and he does not waffle on that at all. He is very firm in believing that. The best coaches in this sport and, and Beamer's in this category and Brian Kelly comes to mind just because they are good at not only identifying player talent, but coaching talent and assigning that and delegating them in the right spots within their coaching roster. And if you look at who Brian Kelly's had on his staff and where they've gone, I think he's got a couple NFL head coaches on there. He is so good at identifying good coaching talent. And I'm not saying that Pry is, but he's he's been coaching a long time. He is not a, not a young man when it comes to the coaching game. Yep. And he he maybe he saw this last year. He's like, I kind of want to do it, but it might not go over that well. I'm not going to do it. First time head coach. Yep. But he's he's ready to trust his gut now. And if you are a good coach, you should be able to identify a coaching talent and assign him to the right spot. And I'm hoping that's the case. Yep. Because it, it it could go wrong, but I'm hoping that's the case. And he seems very happy with it. So. I had a couple more things I wanted to mention. And we can close things out. I loved on the Boundary Corner podcast when you could we could kind of hear him getting a little excited, mm-hmm. and he was like, "I'm bringing in guys to take your job." Yeah. <laughs> like that. That's what I tell the kids, and he's fostering competition with that. And I absolutely love that mentality. I love him. Just like in the interviews, he's up front with his team, and I wouldn't imagine it any other way. And I, I really liked that energy that he brought to that. And when he was talking about the recruiting footprint on the podcast, he said no one had been to Michael Vick's high school in six years. Yeah. Did you hear that part? Yeah, absolutely that, incredible. That's that is un- six years. How long was Fuente there again? I know it is. <laughs> I don't six years. I think. Yeah. I mean. The fences that needed to be mended have to had to be brutal after yeah. some of this is just uh, and I'm assuming what I would have done is I I'm assuming all of the former coaching staff just got thrown under the bus and it, as yeah. they as they should have rightfully so but that's what else are you gonna say uh, other than I have no clue why they never popped their head in here and said, hello. Uh, it's just, it's befuddling to me as well. <laughs> that, 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 what else right. do you It's say? not just a random high school. Mm-hmm. It's your arguably most famous alumni, that, the alumni that made us what we are, yep. <laughs> essentially. And you're not just popping in mm-hmm. in six years. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, I don't, maybe it was hyperbolic. Maybe like the coaches are, you know, saying that just to say, I don't, I don't care yeah. that if, if they're saying it, it's 
Maybe it's a visit. Maybe it's two visits in six years. No matter what it is, it, it's too low. It was ba- and it was bad. If they're saying <laughs> it that way, that means things were bad. Uh, so right. regardless of what the number was, but it obviously was not. And maybe and, it was and zero. There was one more recruiting note when they asked him, so do you feel like you're finally kind of have your legs underneath you when it comes to the 2024 class and that you've been here for you know 18 months? And he said, no, I still feel behind because I want to recruit a kid from ninth grade on. And he said that on the TKP interview too. And if he hasn't, he hasn't been here long enough Mm -hmm. for that to be the case. So until he's able to say, oh, I've been recruiting this kid since he was ninth grade, he's going to feel behind. And I, I love that mentality. Mm -hmm. And there are so many top talents. I know we, we get poached by Penn state and Ohio state because there are a lot of top talents in VA you need to gain the advantage mm-hmm. by being in the state, mm-hmm. by hitting every high school every year and being in on that ninth grade kid when he's a no star or a three star and not a five star yet. Like we need the advantage of being in early. And I think Pry knows that because he's seen it the last two years. There's, he said, there's kids that go to Penn state. They're a good recruit. They're from Virginia. They've never been talked to by Virginia Tech, mm-hmm. you know, in, in these past couple of years. Yeah, and that's just unbelievable. He he said that in an article about a year ago. He's like, there are top guys that we they don't even know we exist. Yeah, it, it it's unbelievable. And I think yeah, I forget which one it was in. He said if a if a it's fine if a player chooses a different school, but we should have the best relationship with them. Period. So. That's a guys are going to do it, and they may choose the money, they may choose the position, they may choose whatever the starting time, they may do all of that, but we should still be like sending them off to another school with the best relationship with them, and I think that is how you have to go about your business. And I love it because one, that's basically in our intro yeah relationships are very important to me like that i put that quote from pry from his initial press conference in our intro and it's it it keeps coming up he talks about relationships all the time and that's twofold now because it's not just the high school recruiting because in a year or two years from now that kid's in the portal Mm -hmm. and guess what antoine powell he's coming to us Allie Jennings, years later, he's coming to back to Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. So you need to make those connections early on with these top talents. When they're not top talents, when they are top talents, because even if you don't get them now, you might get them in a couple years. And the teams that value these relationships, they're going to be better off in the long term. Yep. I think my final takeaway from all of the stuff we talked about is that after hearing that, I want pride to be the guy so bad. Yeah. Like I just, I'm rooting for him so much because we joke about Pry gets it. I, I tweet about it. I say it like as kind of a joke, tongue in, tongue in cheek, but he really does get it. He understands the aspects of what he needs to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Coaching and what will happen on the field is a little bit different. But the way it's mapped out, his plan, the way they're all going about it as a staff, it seems like the right way. It seems like they really do have it figured out right now on that side of it. And as time goes on and the relationships build, we'll see it pay off on recruiting and then we'll see it pay off on the field and or vice versa. I am in the exact same boat 
I want it. I want it to work so bad, um, and I'm hoping it does. Yes. All right. Well, we don't have to talk much more. Did you have any anything else you wanted to talk about tonight? Are you good? I think I'm good. Uh, you know, okay. I was I was excited um, to see him out there, and you know, at the end of at the end of the podcast, I thought he said something that really nice, and he was just. He just said, you know, I appreciate what you guys are do and what you, you know, do for the fan base. It's important when he was talking to those guys. So um, it's it's cool. He I think he he understands the excitement of the fans and they, they want to know more. And that hiding from them is or hiding, you know, withholding information from them. It's just it's it's not going to help anything. And if anything, it just it, it gets you less leniency when you have to make weird decisions or tough decisions that maybe not everybody's going to understand. Yeah. Just to harken back to what we were talking about earlier. Like it is just cool that he did the boundary corner podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that um they're not awesome cuz they do amazing work, mm-hmm. but like it's not it's not a media member so to speak. It's not a guy he's seeing in Blacksburg week after week in the room at the press conferences and he agreed to do it. And I know I think Brian said uh, oh, I met him at the Nova tailgate and stuff. And I know me or you have never gotten a chance to shake hands with Coach Pry, but I know that if we ever had him on our podcast, mm-hmm. it would be like that's huge. And it was mm-hmm. huge for Boundary Corner. I'm happy for those guys. They're they're. I, I've met Brian and I've watched Curtis on their streams many times, and I'm rooting for those guys, you know. And so it's so cool that Pry took the time to meet with a podcast like them. I think he's met with. With the Suns, I think yep. he met with Bill and Pat, Billy and Pat last year. Um, he obviously does TSL and that stuff, and they they have long term connections and are based in Blacksburg. But I'll know one day if we ever get Coach Pry to come on this podcast, we made it, Robbie. <laughs> yeah, that's how that's how you know you made it. Um, no, it was um, very very cool and um, a very um, savvy move to uh, to kind of build those build those relationships with uh, with those you know mediums as well as the fan base. Uh, oh, absolutely no because he's reaching different groups of people every time he does those things and if if I ever have the chance to shake a hand with him I'll be like, "Listen, can we give you a call sometime?" and he'll probably say yes. Yep. Like he he probably will. And uh that's that's what we want out of our coach is going out of his way in May when there's a little bit, he's got a little bit more time on his schedule. Mm-hmm. He can pop into these interviews and, uh, and he, he did one with Phil Steele. I like, I saw the TKP one. Then I saw the boundary corner one. I saw Phil Steele tweet. Oh, thanks for coach pry for, for, so he's on, he's on the media tour right now, man. He's, yeah. he's out there. Yep. It's, um, yeah. And, uh, good, uh, good on them. They're they're learning from some um, some past transgressions that uh, pissed off a lot of people and, and out to try and do it the right way. Yes, sir. All right. So you guys can find us on Twitter. It's at two deep VT. Um, you can find us on the Sons of Saturday website, sonsofsaturday.com. Make sure to stream all of our podcasts on Spotify. Give us give us a review on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts if you have the time. That would be much appreciated. And you can always email us. It's 2deepvt at gmail.com, and we will get back to you. But until next time when hopefully we're doing – we may be doing a player profile. We got to – there's three different things that uh, I've been talking with Robbie about. I've been talking to Billy and Pat about. The next couple months could be really interesting because we got we – got, 
the Athlon preview magazine's coming out. Yep. Me and Robbie are going to do our opponent previews. We're hopefully going to do some memory lane player profile, maybe a game rewind with a special guest, which you're definitely going to want to tune into that one. But stay tuned to Too Deep all summer. We're going to be bringing you content. Go Hokies.